Chapter 3 of Women, Children, Love, and Marriage. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Women, Children, Love, and Marriage by Catherine Gascoigne Hartley. Section 3 of Women, The Dangerous Age. A Tract for the Times. 1. Under this title, the Danish writer, known as Karen Michaelis, in the far back years before the war, a time now marked as the terrible period of the suffrage craze, gave to the world a remarkable and intimate revelation of a woman. It is perhaps the most illuminating work that has been written in recent years about women, from its rare quality of femininity expressed with an unconscious sincerity and biting truth. It is very late in the day to describe a book which, though now forgotten, was, at the time of its publication, very widely read and still more widely criticized and discussed in almost all European countries. It appeared at a time of great feminist unrest, which accounts, to some extent, for the reception it gained. The story matters very little, for it is not as the confession of one woman that the dangerous age gains its importance. It is because it affords a diagnosis of an old and a very great evil, as well as it is an acute observation of a certain type of woman's soul or character. It is from this aspect that I wish to approach it, and for this reason I have called it a tract for the times. Thus, it is of very little importance to my present purpose that the book is not a new one. It does not matter if the story is remembered or indeed if the book itself has or has not been read. If the reader will recall to his or her mind any one of the restless, unsatisfied women they must know, women, not young but not old, they will have the history, the variety in the details will not matter at all, of Elsie Lintner, the hero of this story. This admirable piece of observation deals with a section of women who have come into being through our industrial civilization with its wrong ideals and stupid customs. Marcel Prévu, in his preface to the book, speaks of Elsie Littner's confession as a revelation of the feminine soul of all time. With the latter part of this opinion, I entirely disagree. Rather would I say that it is a revelation of the soul of woman, as that soul has been evolved through the repression of natural instincts and the want of satisfying fields for the expression of energy, in an atmosphere which very surely gives birth to the modern demons of confused desires and unconscious unhappiness. The title of the book is not, I think, well chosen. The Dangerous Age, Elsie Littner was 42 when she wrote her confession, was dangerous because of the life which had preceded it. There is, without a doubt, a cleavage in life, which may be said to be marked by the diminishing of attraction towards the opposite sex, but this is common to men as well as to women. It belongs to no special age, and its proportion of danger to the individual rests, first on the fullness or poverty of experience before this period arrives, and secondly on the power to extract from the past the joyous impulse for continuous living. But to Elsie Littner, as to all women of such false and restricted experience, it was far more than a cleavage, and because she had never lived simply and completely, she experienced that emptiness which strikes the soul with death, when the consciousness comes that the opportunities of life are passing. The terror of approaching age robbed her of all her hope of future happiness, just because she had emptiness in her past. It is easy to condemn her, to speak of her selfishness, her falseness, her colossal egoism. There are few adjectives of condemnation that I have not heard applied to the Elsie Littners of life. Yet if we look at the matter rightly, 
Rather ought we to admire her for the perfect self-sacrifice with which she pursued the one occupation. 2. The question at its root is one of right functioning. For mark the real point of Elsie Littner's history is this. All her actions were based on search for pleasure. To gain the possessions of this world was the fixed aim for which she bartered her soul. What does she tell us in one of her letters? She's writing of her school days. A classmate had said to her, Of course a prince will marry you, for you are the prettiest girl here. She carried the words home to a maid who added to the poison. That's true enough, she said. A pretty face is worth a pocket full of gold. Can one sell a pretty face then? The child asked. Yes, to the highest bidder, was the answer given. The seed thus sown gave a rich harvest. Sex trade became the object, which Elsie Lindner pursued with the same unflinching purpose which directs all those who create for themselves the false gods of possessions. Truly, while we support with our praise the successful financier, we cannot in justice give less esteem to the woman who pursues the same end in the way that is the easiest and surest of success. It is no part of my purpose to give a resume of the history of Elsie Littner. The details matter little. A structure of life built on a false foundation must of necessity fall to ruin. And there is another point I wish to make clear. The destroying penalty paid by this woman for the gain of wealth and position was a failure of the power to love. The real explanation of her unrest, hysteria, and manifold symptoms of excitement was caused by the unceasing warfare within her of two antagonistic forces, the desire for comfort and ease, partly instinctive but also fixed by habit, strengthened by a wish to keep the moral dignity imposed upon women by the conditions of the society in which she lived, fighting with the deeply instinctive desire for satisfying sex experience to fulfill the functioning of life. It is necessary for women to speak plainly. You cannot deny the needs of the body or prostitute their use without the soul paying its penalty. That is what women too often forget. A false purity held Elsie Littner from giving herself to her lover, Jorgen Malthy, and kept her faithful in the letter of the law to the husband she had married for his wealth. She had no children. I say without any doubt that she would have been a purer and a better because a happier and more healthy woman if she had followed the cry of her heart at the first as she was driven in the end to want to do when it was too late. That she did not do this, but chose to sacrifice her lover in the same way that she had sacrificed her husband must, in my opinion, be counted as sin against her. Only the falseness which had wrapped her own life in a net of pretense could have made her fail to see the truth for herself. It is a fact of very special importance that Elsie Littner and all the women who enter into this book belong to the Scandinavian race, among whom chastity was extolled as the chief virtue of a woman while any lapse was punished with terrible severity. If the husband of an ancient Dane discovered his wife in adultery, he was allowed to kill and castrate her lover. There is a city, says the Scandinavian Edda, remote from the sun, the gates of which face the north. Poison reigns there through a thousand openings. The place is all composed of the carcasses of serpents. There run certain torrents, in which are plunged the bodies of the perjurers, assassins, and those who seduce married women. A black-winged dragon flies incessantly round and devours the bodies of the wretched who are there imprisoned. Again, the Icelandic Havamayo contains this caustic apothem. Trust not the words of a girl, neither to those which a woman utters, for their hearts have been made like the wheel that turns round. Levity was put into their bosoms. Trust not to the ice on one day's freezing, neither to the serpent which lies asleep, nor to the caresses of her you are going to marry.
3. Now it may be asked, what has all this to do with Elsie Littner? My answer is everything. The customs of a past social life do subsist beneath the surface of modern society. We cannot without strong effort escape from the chains of our inheritance. In the sad nations of the cold north, where the natural joy of the body has been regarded as something to be fought with and denied, a perpetual confusion has arisen at the very source of life. For the sex passion is a force, huge and fateful, which has to be reckoned with. Woman is more primitive, more intuitive, more emotional than man, and the outlets allowed to her in the past have been more restricted. Thus the price she pays for any repression of the natural rights of love is heavier. Elsie Littner's history is a sermon to all those who set up the false god of chastity for women. I am aware that this statement will arouse opposition, especially in women. Today we hear much talk, and often among women who are working nobly for the better life of women, of control of sex and the need of imposing on men the same code of repression which for so long has been opposed upon them. This is, of course, very natural, but that does not make it wise. It is a truth realized by few women that repression is not, and never can be, control. There seems to be a very widespread opinion that to use the divine gift of sex even in marriage for joy is wrong. One would be inclined to laugh if the sadness of this falsehood did not make one want to weep. The whole subject, wide as life itself, escapes anything like adequate treatment. The lady, the Elsie Littners of society, the household drudge and the prostitute are the three main types of women resulting in our so-called civilization of today. From the process of the past, and it is hard to know which is the most wretched, which is the most wronged, the most destructive, and the furthest removed from the ideal woman which a happier future may evolve. What, then, in conclusion, is the lesson to be learnt from this tract for the times? Women must be free, free to work and free to love. Then and then only can they claim to be the fitting mates of men. Then and then only will they be able to fulfill aright their supreme work as the mothers of the sons and the daughters of the race. This is the path along which freedom is to be found. What, then, is the individual woman to do? This question is one which women at the present have to answer for themselves. But one thing is certain, they must have the courage to tear from their eyes the old and the new bandages that have kept them, and still keep them, in the darkness of ignorance. Better even to sin and know the truth than to live in a falsehood and in a child's world of pretense. End of chapter 3